This is Larie Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. For this hour is Ms. Lala Wu. She is thrilled and humbled to be the first woman of color to take the helm as the executive director of Sister District. In her previous role as the director of engagement and partnerships, she successfully led the expansion of the organization's volunteer infrastructure. Y'all heard how I emphasize that word, right? Volunteer infrastructure to over 150 chapters in 31 states. She's exceptionally proud of the community's outsized impact in 2020, raising an average of 10% of endorsed candidates' total cash contributions and making an average of 34% of their total phone calls. Prior to co-founding Sister District, Lala was a clean energy and land use attorney. Uh, she is also an attorney in recovery, it seems. Lala, it is such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for being with us. Great to be here. I shouldn't say that. Not all of us attorneys are attorneys in recovery, but, you know, sometimes we just happen to be that way. Uh, Sister, <laughs> Sister District is an amazing organization. For those who are new to it, can you tell us what it is and how did you guys get your start? Sister District builds progressive power in state legislatures, and it does so, does so in a variety of ways. But the way we're most well known for is our volunteer field and fundraising operation. And our 60,000 members all across the country are organized into these teams or chapters. And what we do is we sister those like a sister cities concept with two to four state legislative candidates in winnable competitive seats each year for support. Then the chapters will raise money, make phone calls, write postcards. Hopefully this year, pandemic permitting, also go knock on doors. Wow. And as you mentioned, we have been able to have a really outsized impact. In 2021, for example, we made actually 70% of our candidates' phone calls in wow. that cycle. So we are really proud of the impact that we are able to make. And the reason that we do all of this work is because uh, state legislatures have for too long really been an overlooked venue of power. And in 2016, when I was still a lawyer and the election happened, um, you know, I was looking as well as my co-founders for a way to really make an impact nationally. Um, you know, I was living as we all, and my co-founders were living in the Bay Area, having this sort of of thinking about how what we could do to harness the abundance of volunteer and donor energy that did exist where we were living. And we realized that state legislatures were the perfect place to put mm. our energies. And because uh, these places have outsized impact on the political realm, and also we are able to make an impact uh, without um, without you don't need you know to be able to make a ten thousand dollar donation, uh, your twenty dollars, your twenty phone calls can make a huge, huge difference. So state legislatures are critical because they are the pipeline for national leaders. Uh, nearly half of our past presidents also served as state legislators and got wow. trained up there. Um, they are also where the rubber hits the road in terms of policy. For example, everything we're hearing about reproductive justice about education, about voting rights, the list goes on and on. It all happens. The action, whether we like it or not, is at the state level. Mm. Um, and with uh, with these 
efforts that we are making, we're able to make a huge impact in these very, very close races. Last year, five out of our 12 races were decided by just 812 votes or fewer. Wow. Oh my God. So I, I'm, I'm so excited about this. So when I'm not on these airwaves, I run a racial justice law center and voter education and turnout is a really big part uh, of our, our focus. And you, the idea of being able to mobilize volunteers in this era is something I'm really intrigued by, but also a little troubled by Lala. And I'll tell you why, um, you know, I have a lot of elders who are like, well, when, you know, in the sixties and the seventies, we would do entire litigations for free and we would be able to take entire cases, you know, alleging, racial discrimination and nobody got paid and and there was an a a real embrace of the volunteerism spirit in previous generations that I think a lot of groups have struggled to tap into effectively with the current group of of ready and willing and able folks can you talk with us about some of the successes or how you've been able to create some of these successes with your volunteer corps because there's a a really widely held belief out there that you got to pay people to do this work but you guys are mobilizing hundreds of thousands of people to make a whole lot of phone calls and to do a whole lot of work and they're not being paid for it. What's your secret sauce? Our secret sauce is a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work (laughs) as it is, I think, for a lot of people. So, you know, coming up as an organization in the wake of the 2016 election meant that there was just this explosion of energy, a surge of people who uh, many people who were have been longtime activists, but then also many people who had never been active, politically active before. And so we saw this rush of people who were looking to make a difference. And our message that state legislatures were a place you could have outsized impact and that you could do this even if you've never done anything like it before, and that we could channel resources from where they were to where they were needed, all of this really resonated with people. Mm. Uh, I think the hard part comes in keeping people engaged because as you know, um, you know, 2016 to the run-up to 2020, people were very, very excited. People were angry. People wanted Trump out. And in 2020, the will of the people prevailed. We changed hands in the White House. And, uh, and, and that it was absolutely incredible. What I think some people have done is taken a little bit of a step back um, mm. because they think that Trump is gone. Trump is not gone. <laughs> Trumpism is here and alive and well and still manifests itself all in all levels of government. And so what we need to do is to keep people engaged. And I'm very pleased to report that at Sister District, we've continued to see incredible growth at the organization. Um, For example, we grew in terms of both our 8% in terms of our phone calls and 11% in terms of our fundraising over our 2019 numbers, which was the last odd year where there were kind of comparable elections. So we're, you know, we continue to build momentum. And the key really, as I'm sure you know well, is really educating. You know, you have to understand what happened in the past in order to understand Mm. the future and, uh, and to know what's coming. And I think what we've really, the next step for us is really continuing to educate people about the importance of state legislatures and how the, all the change that we're looking for starts from the ground up. It happens at this local and state level. What we may hear about all the time happens on the federal level. Um, of course, Katanji Brown Jackson will yeah. soon become Justice Katanji Brown Jackson. And we are absolutely thrilled and celebrating that. 
But what we also know is that it doesn't change the balance of power on the Supreme Court. That's right. And federal laws are still not being passed. We think that we're going to see Roe v. Wade be overturned. And once that happens, of course, people are pushing for federal legislation. It would be great. I would also celebrate that. But we need to be realistic about what we can actually do. And we at least need a plan B, right? Mm. Um, and we need to think about, pun intended. I, I like that. About what, what we can do at the state level, we need to be winning. We need to be fighting and winning this battle state by state. You're speaking my love language. Anytime someone says we need to use our past to understand our, our, our reality today and plan for the future, those are magical words to me. They warm my heart. Uh, and I love this idea of using the local reality to engage people. We started out the show talking this morning about how one state in particular uh, in 1804 passed a law to gradually abolish slavery. But then, you know, just a, a couple of decades later, passed another law that said, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep slavery for life. And it was at the state level and being engaged in your local politics really will have more of an impact on your life, everybody, uh, than I shouldn't say so much more than at the federal level, but frankly, you are going to feel what your local politicians are doing in very real and concrete ways uh, with a lot more immediacy than you're going to feel the impact of what's happening at the federal level. Uh, but Lala, one of the challenges we have is that, you know, a lot of people feel that once they get state legislators that they like on the campaign trail, something seems to happen between election day and them being sworn in where they do a, a magical turnabout. Uh, and one of your stated strategy goals at Sister District is to equip today and tomorrow's leaders with the skills and networks they need to create progressive policy in their communities. There are a lot of folks out there who frankly are concerned when they look at it like a, a Kristen cinema and feel that she represents people who are frankly more abundant than we would like to acknowledge. They talk a great game on the campaign trail, but once they have been sworn in, it is business as usual. Do you guys have a plan to prevent that from happening? Do you work with legislators to help them sort of not get swooped up into all of the money and the personal benefits that they can get once they are elected officials and can kind of just coast for a couple of years, hoping they're the people who voted them in won't even remember or make the connections? We do. Accountability is so critical. And getting folks elected is just one part of the political life cycle. And of course, it is critical. If you don't get people elected, then they're not in power. And there's nobody to hold accountable that, uh, that you helped to put there. But what we do at Sister District is we launched a new program last year called Purple District Network. And it really thinks about what happens after a candidate becomes a legislator. Mm. And we launched this because we heard from so many of our candidate alumni that there weren't really resources available for their segment. They, the, the swing district, purple district legislators that they are. Wow. And these are exactly the types of legislators that are a little bit, uh, uh, if without accountability, without some encouragement, some action, they could go either way, right? Yeah. And so it's very, very important that we keep them close and we keep providing them value add and education, helping them make their uh, jobs more successful, giving them the resources that they need and the support that they need so that they think about how they can stay true to their campaign promises. And one thing we think really a lot about is how to continue to build progressive power, continue to wield and expand power, even if legislators are not in the majority. Of course, if you are in the majority, if you have, for example, a democratic trifecta, as 
we did after 2019 in Virginia, then you're able to do some of the groundbreaking things that touch people's lives that you talked about, like uh, abolishing the death penalty in Virginia, which is absolutely incredible. Um, you know, uh, passing, uh, legalizing recreational marijuana, um, expanding teacher pay, the list goes on their own voting rights act where the federal government wasn't able to pass one. So there's all kinds of things you can do with a trifecta, of course, but what can you do if you don't have a blue trifecta, which is a trifecta, I should say, is where the governor as well as both chambers of the state houses are controlled by the same party. But even if you don't have complete party control over the state government, there's still a lot you can do. You can think about, oh, how do we introduce legislation to make the other side uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. How do you make them take a position? How do we start to change the conversation by introducing legislation, even if it's not going to get passed this year? How do we think about opportunities for bipartisan legislation? So there's so many uh, strategies there for building progressive power, even when you are not in the uh, in the majority, that uh, we really help people think through. So I know that you guys are focused on the state level, but I feel like if you're successful at the state level, that should redound to some benefits at the federal level as well. And there's a lot of concern right now about keeping the House and expanding the Senate. Uh, but I want to talk about some of your specific programs, because, I, again, I do feel like if, if we can win at the states uh, and at the state level, then that really will help to build momentum uh, for what's happening at the federal uh, realm. And you guys have uh, four programs that I just kind of want to talk through really quickly. It's win elections, support legislators, develop legislators, educate and empower. Can you talk us through each of those components? Because even if I'm in a state where sister district is not present, I want a sister district framework in my state where I'm in New York and we have a trifecta. We still need some help. Like there are still some things happening that are not in alignment with progressive ideas and agendas and policies. So uh, for those of us who are not fortunate enough to be in a sister district state, what are these four elements? And uh, y'all take notes because we need to mimic this. That's right. Well, first and foremost is winning elections. As I mentioned, we can't have power unless we put our people in the seats of power. And it's just that simple. Um, you know, somehow the left sometimes is not as focused on this very basic fact that we need to win power. Mm -hmm. And so the first step to that is winning elections. We do that by, as we talked about already, you know, organizing our volunteers across the country to deploy their volunteer time and energy to support key races. And we're looking for these really close, competitive, winnable seats um, in states where we can flip uh, chamber blue um, hold a chamber blue or make inroads into badly gerrymandered states. Mm. We also complement this with strategic support. We really embed with campaigns. We're on their speed dials. We're able to provide them really um, uh, very detailed and on the ground support on every aspect. We can help them with their field plans, their comms plans. Um, there, we can help them with hiring. We really get in there. Wow. We help them evaluate the. Uh, the, the, the pros and cons of different consultants. You may have heard about you know, the benefits and the downsides of various consultants. We're able to really provide them a uh, you know, good neutral uh, perspective on that and to help them win. We think of ourselves as kind of the last mile for folks getting across the finish line um, for winning elections. So second is supporting organizers. Of course, we support and we train our own core of volunteers across the country. And we also have a program called State Bridges, 
where we recognize uh, Stacey Abrams made this idea very popular, although it's been around before her. But this concept that we cannot win elections just by coming in in the last few months. That's right. We need to be building groundwork um, year over year, day after day, over decades, really. And it needs to be done by people who are on the ground in the communities. Mm. And this is led by women, led by people of color. And there's amazing organizations that are doing this work. And so at Sister District, we recognize that this year-round power building work is foundational to and complementary to the work that we do. And so we've identified key organizations in our states um, that like uh, Texas Organizing Project, like New Virginia Majority, like Lucha in Arizona. And we partner with them and then we deploy our grassroots fundraising machine to fundraise for them directly. Uh, And so that's been a really amazing way to elevate these uh, organizations as well as give them some concrete support. And then third, we've got an organization, got a program. Uh, our third prong is called supporting legislators or uh, developing legislators. And that's where we, through our Purple District Network, we really think about how to get folks from becoming good candidates to becoming good legislators because they're not the same set of skills. That's right. And we really, we provide them with these uh, networking opportunities, as well as different resources, facilitated conversations, so that folks have an opportunity to share best practices and strategies. We also have a new program called Future Winners, which is where we identify exceptional candidates who lost, but only by a little bit and who should really run again. Mm. And so we partnered last year with Run for Something and with Emily's List. I love Run for Something. Oh my God. They're one of my favorite groups to bring on to talk about this stuff. This is great. Ours as well. Ours as well. And we were able to last year provide advanced training and networking and really just emotional support and encouragement to these candidates who had put themselves out there to run. And as we know, a lot of times uh, people need to run more than once in order to win, especially Mm. women, especially candidates of color. And unfortunately, we saw a little gap in the pipeline where these candidates, they ran, people were really excited about them, but then they lost, even if only by a little bit. And then folks kind of disappeared into the woodwork. And so Mm. what we wanted to do was make sure that these candidates who are exceptionally well positioned to win because they've got name recognition, they've got candidate experience. We wanted to make sure we kind of keep them in the pipeline, provide them what they need to level up their candidacies and run again. So we're very pleased to announce that many are running again already this year. That's fantastic. And then finally, fourth, thank you so much. And then we've got um, our educating and empowering uh, pillar, which is where we, uh, we've got an incredible research program. Um, we've got two PhDs on staff. And what we do is we do uh, volunteer and voter engagement research. We do a lot of randomized control trials, as well as work with partners like Voter Participation Center, at the University of Michigan. And we think about how can we better understand the tactics 
that we are asking our volunteers to take part in so that we have made a commitment to them that they are going to be doing the highest impact um, strategies out there to really support the candidates because we know that everybody is busy and we know that um, we need to be respectful of people's time in that ways. And so we do this research to make sure we understand when we send postcards, when we make phone calls, what's the most effective way to do it. And of course, we do a lot of civic education, raising the profile, the narrative of the importance of states. And we know that this work is extra important and we're animated by the fact that we know that on the Republicans, they vote from the top all the way down to the bottom. That's right. And unfortunately, Democrats, they start at the top and then many roll off before they get to the state led, before they get to the local level. And this is a huge problem. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them is certainly education. And so we want to raise the profile of the importance of these state and local races. I am really excited about this. For me, this weekend sort of signaled the turn to fully embracing, oh no, we, 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 this is an election. Like we, we are in it now and we are in it at every single level. And I've been uh, framing elections as a power struggle. And there is an idea because again, when you don't have a lot of intimacy with the electoral system, when you were perhaps a part of a community that was intentionally excluded from gaining access to the experiential knowledge that would be needed in order for you to effectively uh, not just register to vote and then vote, but effectively engage civically, uh, you know, it, it's important for us to cut the 340 some odd years of non-voter participation and civic engagement that we all experienced before the Voting Rights Act was passed. And I, I always say that tongue in cheek because, I mean, we did have the 15th Amendment passed in the 1800s, but that didn't really produce a whole lot uh, after, you know, the end of Reconstruction. So education for voters is super important. And I'm framing election cycles as power struggle cycles because I think people recognize that uh, while I may not know a lot about civics, I understand power and I understand a fight for power. And I'm so excited that there are groups like yours out there. Um, I hope my staff is listening because I'm going to need them to, to I hope they were writing down the names of some of the organizations organizations you mentioned, uh, because we will definitely be following up as well. But this year for me really is about, and I shouldn't even say this year in New York state, we have an election now every year between now and 2028. So I'm basically on a, for between now and 2028, uh, multi-year effort to really make sure we are dramatically shifting the paradigm. And I think Sister District, uh, I know y'all aren't in New York and I'm rolling my eyes at that, but uh, I'm really glad that you guys exist. And I would love for you to come back and keep us updated on your progress and, and the fact that you were able to, uh, year over year, make such dramatic improvements in voter engagement and fundraising, that is significant, particularly during a pandemic. Uh, so Lala Wu, it has been a real pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. We're going to tweet out the uh, link to your website so people can follow that. Uh, but how can they follow you and stay connected? You can follow me at underscore Lala underscore Woo underscore at uh, that's on Twitter. Um, and then also, but you should really follow sister underscore district um, to follow us uh, online. Sister underscore district is the Twitter handle for this amazing organization. Lala, it's been great to meet you and have you here. Thank you. We're we going to need a whole lot of these conversations to move the needle. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely.